Welcome to the Healthful Woman Podcast, the fastest growing podcast in women's health. Today's Monday, October 4th, 2021. Today we start a six-part mini-series on twins. Yes, you heard me right, six parts. So here's the roadmap. Today I'm joined by Dr. Jen Lamraklin to discuss an introduction to twins and types of twins. In podcasts two and three, I'm joined by Dr. Andre Rebarber to talk about prenatal care of twins. Then in podcasts four and five, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Nala Kalik from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, or CHOP, to talk about twin-to-twin transfusion. And then finally, in podcast six, we're going to redrop our podcast with Stephanie Melka on delivery of twins. Think of this as a six-week mini course on twin pregnancies, and I'm really excited about it. As many of you know, we take care of a lot of twins in our practice, and a lot of my own published research has been about twin pregnancies. And of course, I'm the father of twins. Also on the schedule, we have a high-risk birth story dropping this and every Thursday. Speaking of which, if you did not get a chance to hear our high-risk birth story last week, definitely go back and check that one out. It was somewhat controversial, but a very important one, as we heard from Megan Hofbauer, who told her story of the pregnancy she chose to terminate. For now, enjoy part one of our twin pregnancy miniseries with Dr. Jen Lamraklin. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Welcome to today's episode of Healthful Woman, a podcast designed to explore topics in women's health at all stages of life. I'm your host, Dr. Nathan Fox, an OBGYN and maternal fetal medicine specialist practicing in New York City. At Healthful Woman, I speak with leaders in the field to help you learn more about women's health, pregnancy, and wellness. Dr. Jen Lamraklin, welcome back to the podcast. How you doing? Thank you for having me, Nadie. I'm doing well, thank you. You were just begging to be back on the podcast. You kept harassing <laughs> me. I said, Jen, come on, Every enough day. already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know me. I love speaking. <laughs> you love speaking. So we're, yeah, you're moving farther and farther away from me. So you're you're not sixty blocks away from me now to call you. But I, you know, you can run, but you can't hide. The podcast will always find you. <laughs> Um, but no, I do appreciate it. And we were going over potential topics and we both thought that this would be a good one because, you know, we see so many twin pregnancies and people know someone with twin pregnancy or they have a twin pregnancy, but people don't really sort of think about what we're thinking and how do we assess what kind of twin pregnancy and what does that mean? And there's a lot of confusion. So we thought it'd be a good idea to try to, you know, maybe clear that up and help people understand how we think about twins uh, to maybe get a better sense of you know, how we may manage them differently. Yeah, I agree. I think it's, it's an important topic. Obviously, we see a lot of twins and there are a lot of confusion um, in the, I guess, available literature for patients. And I feel like I do spend a lot of time during my consults with them to, to clear up some of the confusions. A podcast like this would, would definitely help. Yeah, I mean, like, for example, there's all these different ways there's are the twins identical versus not identical, which is what people here are maternal versus fraternal, or are there one placenta yeah. or two placenta? I mean, all these things, and how are those related? And we're going to try to sort all that out. So it's a little ambitious, but I think <laughs> we're going to do it. Um, and I think this, yeah. you know, twins are such an interesting topic that, you know, this is really just like step one. You know, we see someone in right. evaluating for twin pregnancy. This is literally the first thing we do before we make any more of the plan. So I thought it'd be a good place for our podcast to start. Uh, just for some background, you know, twins are common. Right now, it's about one in 30 births, although it seems, mm-hmm. in, you know, patients I see, it's like one in three. 
Yeah. <laughs> we see a lot of twins. <laughs> and it, it they are more common as women get older. They're more common with fertility treatments, also with family history. And in terms of different ways to think about twins, let's first start with idea of like the genetics, you know, this identical versus non-identical. So what does it mean for twins to be genetically the same or different? You know, I think most people that's not in our field would, would kind of classify twins as either are they identical or they are fraternal, which basically means like, you know, identical twins, they are genetically the same. They started off as one, one unifying cell and, and it's split into twins. Um, so genetically the same versus fraternal, meaning that they are genetically different, right? So, so it could be that two eggs were fertilized and there were two different pregnancies kind of coexisting in the same uterus. As, as you know, from, from our field, it's, it's less important to know identical versus fraternal, more important to know how many placentas, how many sacs. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that people find surprising that we we always talk about whether we think they're identical or not, but it, it really doesn't matter that much to it, uh, to us. And you know, in terms of just when I try to explain to women sort of how do twins come about, right? In terms of like naturally, let's take fertility treatments aside. There's really only two ways. The first way is sort of you have one egg and one sperm, right? And they meet, and that's you know one pregnancy, it's a zygote as it's called at that time, but basically it's going to be one baby. And then that splits into two. And that's how you get identical twins or what we call, some people call maternal twins. Sometimes we call them monozygotic. These are all fancy terms for twins that came from the same, you know, one, it's not really baby that time, it's an embryo or whatever, but it splits into two. And that's why they have the exact same DNA. Identical twins have the same DNA because they came from the same egg and the same sperm. And the interesting thing about that is that event where one embryo splits into two, it's the same across all populations, the likelihood of it happening. It's not affected right. by family history. It's not affected by age. It's a completely random event, which is really interesting just from a scientific standpoint that it happens in yep. the same frequency. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The frequency hasn't changed in the monozygotic twins, which yeah. is very unique in and of a uh, it could be a whole topic in and yeah. of itself, the, the, of why the, it occurs. Yeah, the only, the only exception is actually for women who undergo IVF, even though there may be one embryo put inside the uterus, that embryo is more likely to split than in nature. Meaning in nature, it's about one in 300. But with IVF, it could be one in 30 or one in 40. It could be 10 times higher. So it's not that it commonly happens, but definitely much more frequent with IVF pregnancies. And so we always warn women if they're having IVF, even if you're only putting one embryo, sure, that's going to lower your risk of twins a lot, but it doesn't make it zero. And, you know, again, it is really interesting, identical twins, all this, you know, sort of socially, it's very interesting. They look alike, they think alike, do they have this, you know, special connection and whatnot. Um, but we don't really get into that. It doesn't really matter so no. much to us, <laughs> except if we're trying to, like, diagnose, you know, genetic, you know, conditions or not, we'll know they'll be the same or different. Um, the other way people have twins is that there's actually two different eggs and two different sperm. And it just happens to be that the mother ovulated two eggs that month. And that is genetically related, right? So when you ask women about a history of twins in the family, you're talking about that kind of twins. And those are the twins that we call either non-identical or fraternal or dizygotic. These are all the same thing. And they're genetically similar like siblings. Technically, they're like 50% genetically normal 50 percent not but um yeah so so they they act more like like siblings only have, obviously they're the same age the same conception date <laughs> right and they share the same uterus 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and now the way this would be impacted by fertility treatments is if you're having IVF and they put in more than one embryo, sure, you may end up with non-identical twins. Or the other ways, if people have fertility treatments not related, they don't have IVF, like they have other treatments like hormonal. So what, what happens there? If they have a non-IVF type of hormonal treatment, those type of treatments help patients ovulate, right? They have to, you have to ovulate if you release an egg to get pregnant to meet what up with the sperm. And, and when they go through hormone treatments, sometimes they ovulate more than one egg. Um, let's say, for instance, they ovulated twice and there's two eggs that get released and both of those eggs will get fertile, can get fertilized by different sperms and then resulting in, in twin pregnancies. Worst case scenario would be if there were more than two that ovulated and then you have these higher order multiples, right? Like in triplets and quadruplets, which thankfully has been less likely to occur given kind of the, the changes in terms of monitoring for, for these fertility doctors. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's a, a misconception out there that for, you know, like Octomom and people will get pregnant with, you know, five, six, seven babies that the thought was that the IVF doctor put in five, six or seven embryos, but that's almost never the case. The IVF doctors are going to put in one, maybe two in the old days, maybe three. The way someone got pregnant with six, seven or eight was they got injected with a ton of hormones and then just went off on their own. And right. they happened to ovulate <laughs> six, seven or eight times in that, in that cycle. And that was really how uh, it happens. So people are getting these hormones typically are monitored to make sure they're not going to ovulate that many. So again, th that distinction about whether twins are genetically the same, genetically not the same, as we said, is not really important to us. So what is it that is important to us in terms of twins? Yeah, most importantly for us is it's how many placentas, how many sacs, is there a separating membrane or are they in the same sac, same same uterus, same placenta. I think placenta, sac, uterus, they're, they're kind of very abstract terms, patients that are not in the medical field, right? Um, and the best way that I would describe it is, you know, something called a dichorionic diamniotic twins are two sacs, two placentas, or kind of the best analogy is, is two siblings, twins that live in the same apartment complex, but separate apartments, right? They have their separate kitchen, they have their separate living space. They should not be in competition with each other in terms of nutritional source and space versus monochorionic twins, which share the same placenta. So it's like as if they live in the same apartment itself with one shared kitchen. So there could be competition of nutritional source. If they're monochorionic but diamniotic, they have two separate sacs. And, and so it's like they have like two separate bedrooms versus, you know, mono-mono, which would be like living in a studio apartment with this twin pregnancy, <laughs> obviously much more complicated <laughs> compared as we go along down that line. And kind of the highest risk of twins would be obviously conjoined twins and, and you know, the degree of con where it's conjoined. Yeah, I think that's a really good analogy. Uh, most women have one uterus, there are some with two, but basically yeah. one uterus. <laughs> so the, both babies are in the same uterus, but the placenta is sort of the thing that nourishes the baby. So it takes food, water, oxygen, all the stuff from the mother to the baby, or in this case, babies. And if they each have their own placenta, it's like each having their own refrigerator or kitchen, like you said, each have their right. own food source, and they're not directly in competition one to the other. So it could be that one gets more and one gets less of, let's say, one placenta works better than the other. That happens a lot in twins. But it wouldn't be that if one, like if, we're, if you and I are sharing a refrigerator and I take a lot of food from the fridge, you have less, right? And so, whereas if we each have our own refrigerator, it's different. And so that's a really important one with the placentas. And it is basically about 
supply of either food or water, sometimes even blood specifically, there's conditions if they share a placenta. And then what you're talking about, the rooms, that's the water bags, right? So the water bags is really just everyone's got their own space. And the reason that matters is if the twins are in the same water bag, which is unusual, but when it happens, they're they're swimming around each other and their cords can get entangled. There's no separation between them. And that has its own set of problems. And so, yeah, so we we look at that and that's really all we're thinking about. Now, it happens to be that there is a relationship between those two, between how the placentas and membranes are organized and whether they're identical or not. But again, it's it's only the case that, you know, one sort of uh, implies the other sometimes, but it doesn't really matter to us if they're identical, meaning you can have identical twins who share a placenta and you can have identical twins who don't share a placenta. And the bigger issue with us is whether they share a placenta, not whether they end up being identical or not. Yeah, I think the most common misconception is, you know, when someone's told that they have die die twins or two separate placenta, two separate sacs, that means that they're fraternal and that's not always the case. They could still be identical. But from a monitoring perspective, it, it doesn't really change how we do the monitoring. Right, right. I actually have friends who growing up were clearly identical twins. I mean, looked the same, talked the same, thought the same, acted the same. They were like, no one could tell them apart. And they're like, no, we're not identical. We're like, get out of here. Of course we're identical. <laughs> but like, no, we're not identical because we had two placentas. And in high school, you're like, oh, that sounds pretty scientific. I yeah, guess you're not identical. <laughs> then I went to medical school and I learned this. I was like, aha, you're not, you're definitely identical. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it all that time. I suspect they knew it too, but for some reason didn't want to admit it. So let's talk about the way we think about it. Like you said, the, the least risky of all twins, right? All twins are higher risk pregnancy, but the least risky of all twins are, like you said, the ones where there's two placentas, meaning each baby has his or her own placenta and his or her own water bag. And we call those dichorionic, I mean, two chorions or two placentas, diamniotic, two amnions or two water bags. Unfortunately, the shorthand for that is die die, which sounds yeah. horrible. We're like, hey, you have die die twins, and people are like, what? Like, what are you saying? Like, no, 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 di, just like not, <laughs> not. It's yeah, it's yeah. Listen, we 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 could tighten that up and make it better, but that's just how it is. So that's the lowest risk type of twin. So if you see pregnancy, and we'll talk about how we know this, but and you say, all right, there's two placentas, two water bags. So what do you? No. So can you know for sure whether they're identical or not identical? In general, no, unless they're different genders, right? If, right. if one's a male, one's a female, then then for sure they're not identical. But if they're the same genders, like two boys, two girls, there's not really a a way that's 100% fallproof to say that they're identical versus fraternal. Right. There are genetic testings, whether via screening tests or invasive testing that tries to tease out whether they are genetically the same or not. But obviously, there are limitations of some of these testings. Yeah, that's been very interesting for us because, you know, we'll see people with twins and again, that two placentas, two water bags. And, you know, let's say they're, uh, it's it's too early that we don't know whether it's a, a boy or girl yet. And we would usually think that they're not identical. But sometimes they'll say, oh, you know, I'd IVF and they only put in one embryo. We're like, oh, then they probably are identical. Or there is this blood test now that can give you prediction of whether they're identical or not. And it's it's pretty accurate. It's not 100%, but it's it's a lot more accurate than you would expect. I mean, it's really very good. But again, it it, it tends to be the, the lowest risk and you can't tell for sure whether they're identical or not. And so those twin pregnancies we sort of manage as our standard twin pregnancies. And the nice thing is there's no competition 
for food or for water in terms of one taking from the other. And also, in those types of twins, if unfortunately something happens to one of the babies, it won't affect the other. They're literally just sharing, like you said, an apartment complex. They're not even in the same apartment, in the same building. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So so from all the twins, these are, are, quote unquote, the, the best type of twins to have because they are the lowest risk of twins. Right, exactly. So... That's the what we call di-di or di-chorionic, di-amniotic. And the next level is when they each have their own water bag, so they're in their own bedroom, so to speak, but they share one placenta. So we call that monochorionic or one placenta, di-amniotic, two water bags, or monodi, which is what we call them. Again, a little bit gruesome, but that's what we call it. So why does that increase the risk, right? What can happen in that kind of twins on top of what could happen in the, the first set of twins? Yeah, so aside from just general twin complications, they're they're sharing, as you said, the same nutritional or same blood supply. So there could be competition of one getting more blood than the other or more nutrition than the other and, and really related to just how much sharing of or equal or unequal sharing of, of that blood supply um, and then can translate into more complications such as, you know, twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which is something that we talk about a lot for monodi twins. But there's, you know, a variety of different other nuances aside from TTTS, um, but it's all related to geography of how much placenta they have or how much blood flow they get. Yeah, and that's a really important distinction because we're always worried about, like you said, all twins. There's, you know, the risk of preterm birth and the risk of how they're going to grow and a risk of diabetes and high blood pressure. Like all these things there's a risk for in twins. But when they have the same placenta, on top of that, we have to follow for those problems that are unique to having the same placenta. Like you said, this twin-twin transfusion. And we're gonna we're gonna have a separate podcast on that alone, so we don't have to go too deep into it. But it's a problem, and it happens in you know whatever 15% of these kinds of twins. But we have to monitor for it because it could be pretty serious. And one of the interesting things is essentially 100% of the time, if you see one placenta, they are identical, right? It's almost impossible to get one placenta from non-identical twins. It's been reported, but basically it doesn't happen. And so for our end, yeah, we sort of know that. And also if you are going to do genetic testing, it should be the same, you know, one versus the other almost always essentially. That is a higher level uh, of risk. And not a lot of people know that coming in to their twin pregnancy. They think all twins are the same. And these are clearly everyone, you know, in, in our world, those are way higher risk than the first set of twins. Yeah, I agree. Aside from just the, the sharing of the placenta, as you can alluded to with the die-die twins, if something happens to one twin, generally the other twin is not affected. But in mono monochorionic twin pregnancy, if something happens to one twin, it can't affect the, the surviving twin because they do share that blood flow. Yeah. And that that is a, a unique circumstance. You know, fortunately, it's rare. But if you have situations in pregnancy where let's say, and it happens where one twin is thriving and doing great, and the other twin is just not, there's something wrong, either something genetically wrong with the baby or something uh, let's say the placenta is not working or you know something's going on. If they don't share a placenta and something happens to the first baby, let's say the first baby passes in utero, it, you know, it dies, it won't directly affect the other baby. It's very sad, but it won't directly affect the other twin. But if they share a common blood supply and one of them dies inside, essentially there's a huge pressure shift in the blood flow and this, and it can, and there's a very high chance of it affecting the surviving baby. And so 
we don't have the same options of like, let's wait and see necessarily that we would have if there's two placentas. Again, these are not common things in twins, but it's very important on our end in terms of counseling people what to do to know if they're sharing uh, a similar blood supply or not. And tell me about why is it such a, a problem if they're in what we call mono-mono, meaning one chorion, monochorionic, one placenta, and also monoamniotic, mono one water bag. This is where they're, the two of them are in the same studio apartment. So why is it such a big deal if their cords are getting wrapped around each other? Well, that's, that's primarily where they're getting their blood supply from, their oxygen, their nutrition. So if you can imagine like literally like two ropes tangled up together, you could cut off some of the blood supply to one or both twins. So, so there's a higher risk of, of losing one or both. Yeah. And, and these pregnancies are, are like crazy high risk. They're fortunately rare, um, but these are kinds of the risk of stillbirth is so high that either by the third trimester, we're admitting them to the hospital and watching the babies continuously. Uh, that's what we do in our practice. Typically, there are others who just see them in the office every single day for testing, like literally like five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week or something. I mean, they're, they're watched so frequently because there's a chance of something happening. They always get delivered early. I mean, they're going to be preterm. Even if everything goes perfectly, we're going to deliver them early before something terrible can happen. And also just one of the sort of the, the way that identical twins can get different kinds of placentas, right? We said identical twins get two placentas, they get one placenta, they can have the same water bag is, is sort of based on how far along in the embryonic development does it split. And the later it splits, the more they share. So also the later they split, the higher the risk of birth defects. So the twins that share the same water bag, it's not because they share a water bag, they have higher risk of birth defects. It's because they split late, they share a water bag, and they have a higher risk of birth defects. So there's a very high chance these babies having heart defects or whatever, and it it's, makes it a, on top of the high-risk pregnancy a, a, a very high-risk pregnancy. Uh, and so these, these require a lot of counseling. Uh, early on, if people are ready to embark on this, correct. Yeah, how often do you see that? I would say, and and you know, because you're an, you're an ultrasound, and you see a lot of pregnancies come through. Is that a conversation you have once a day, once a week, once a month, once a year? What would you say for mono mono twins? Yeah. Uh, kind of generically, I would say it's it's very rare. It's, yeah, it would be like one or once or twice a year that we would have that counseling. Um, because it encompasses like maybe like what one to three percent of all monochorionic twins. Yeah. Um, so it's it's quite rare. Yeah, it is it is pretty rare. And what sometimes happens is, and this is sort of one of the nuances, if the ultrasound is done very early, you can't always see that membrane that separates the two twins. Mm -hmm. Like you can't see that they're in two water baths because it's so thin you can't even see it on ultrasound. And so sometimes people will have an ultrasound at six, seven, eight weeks. And either us or the outside doctor will say, oh, you know, I know they're twins. I see two babies, two heartbeats. It seems, mm -hmm. there's, it seems like there's one water bag. I don't see two water bags. And they come to us to talk mm -hmm. about that. And then by the time they're like nine, 10 weeks, we say, no, 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 we can see the membrane between them. There's actually two water bags. That happens a lot. I would say we see a fair number of those consultations that end up fortunately just being the, the medium risk, uh, high-risk twins with the uh, one placenta uh, and two water bags. When would you like to do the ultrasound to determine how many placentas, how many water bags there are? The earlier, the better, but we should definitely be able to see placental membranes by nine weeks of pregnancy. So aiming for at least a scan between seven to nine weeks, I think is a great time. Doing a scan earlier, we 
don't necessarily see the membranes or the placenta yet, um, but it can give us a good idea because we can see how many gestational sacs or how many yolk sacs. So I don't think there's ever a downside of doing an early scan, but but to clearly identify membrane and placenta, I would say ideally around the nine-week time period. There's uncertainty sort of nationally and internationally should every pregnant woman get an early ultrasound, like in the first trimester? And on the one hand, some people say, well, most people don't need it. It's a waste of time. It's a waste of money. You're increasing anxiety, resources. Okay, and that's true for many people. But this is one of those situations where it changes everything, meaning if we have an ultrasound at 8, 9, 10 weeks, and we, A, diagnose that it is twins, right, number one, we'll figure out it's twins. Number two, we'll have a very high confidence of what kind of twins it is, Whereas if someone doesn't get ultrasounds, let's say, and they show up at, you know, at 20 weeks when they're going to get their anatomy ultrasound, their doctor or midwife is like, hey, yours is measuring a little bigger than I would think. Why don't you get an ultrasound now? And we see them at 20 weeks and there's two babies. We can't tell at that time necessarily if, you know, what's the story with the how many placentas, the membranes. It's much, much harder. And it really changes everything we do with the rest of the pregnancy, knowing what kind of twins it is. You know, once you go beyond the first trimester, especially for placentas that are in the same location, right? It's very hard to tell whether there's two separate placentas. It's really hard to tell. Is the membrane dividing them thick or thin? So definitely you want to aim for, for a scan and sometime in the first trimester, ideally again around that nine week, nine to ten week window. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's one of the reasons, listen, our practice, we do a first trimester scan on everybody. Uh, I mean, we do, you know, whatever, full disclosure. And number one, we want to see that there's a heartbeat, pregnancy looks good. I, I, I rarely encounter a patient who doesn't want us to check these things. And then obviously, we want to know if it's twins. And if it is twins, what kind of twins? It really does change uh, our management and our counseling, you know, in terms of what's the prognosis, what to expect, you know, when are they likely to be born, you know, all these risks and what tests we can do, it, it totally changes throughout their pregnancy. There's a lot of press given to conjoined twins, uh, what used to unfortunately be called Siamese twins, but they're conjoined twins. That's the term that we use when twins are actually, quote unquote, like stuck together. So what is that? What's going on there? So, I mean, this is the same idea. It started as, as one zygote that divided, but divided very late. So they do share the same placenta, but aside from sharing the same placenta, they have shared I guess, organs, right? They're, they're stuck together on a variety of different attachment points where, where they can share certain organs. Obviously, that translates into a much higher risk pregnancy, but also, thankfully, very rare. Yeah, that's really, really unusual, but essentially, it's you know, the, the, the latest splitting they can do that's not even complete. It's like an incomplete splitting, and mm-hmm. you know, based on exactly, you know, there is no one way to look at these because, you know, based on how they're connected and what they share, it'll change whether they may or may not be able to be separated after birth. And if so, will they both survive? Will only one survive, right? There's different ways, you know, if they share a heart, then clearly they can't be separated and have both survive because each one will need a heart. If they're sort of, you know, connected at the shoulder, all right, then you can sort of try to sort that out. And again, fortunately, this is, I mean, not even once a year we have a a consultation for this. I mean, uh, only a handful over my whole career, I would say. Usually diagnosed in the first trimester too, so so it kind of gives the patient, you know, a lot of information early on to decide what to do with the pregnancy. Absolutely. So just to review, this is what we think about is sort of placentas, membranes, right? What's going on there? Are there two placentas? Are there two water bags? 
And you know, the, the lowest risk type of twins is what we call di-di or dichorionic, two placentas, diamniotic, two waterbacks, most common kinds of twins, usually not identical, though sometimes they are identical. And there are definitely risks in twin pregnancies, but it's sort of just twins. And then the next level is one placenta or monochorionic, but two water bags, diamniotic, higher level because they share the food supply, the blood supply, you know, and one could take from the other. And then the next highest level, which is much more rare, and sorry, those are always identical. And then the next level, which is much more rare, also identical, where they share the same water bag. Uh, and then the most rare is where they're actually uh, conjoined. Wow, we did that. That was pretty thorough. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Excellent. The very brief synopsis on, on twinning. <laughs> yeah, this is this is twinning. And this is really, I think, a good introduction because when we do podcasts on prenatal care twins, on twin-twin transfusion, I think it's a good primer for people to know sort of how we think about this and why we would, you know, why is twin-twin only relevant in one kind of twins, but not in most kinds of twins and, and so forth. Jen, thanks for taking time out of your day and coming to the podcast. I appreciate it. No problem. E- even though I, had a, I, so keep, I keep twisting your arm to do it more. no it's a pleasure i enjoy doing it thank you for listening to the healthful woman podcast to learn more about our podcast please visit our website at www.healthfulwoman.com that's h-e-a-l-t-h-f-u-l-w-o-m-a-n.com if you have any questions about this podcast or any other topic you would like us to address please feel free to email us at hw at healthfulwoman.com. Have a great day. The information discussed in Healthful Woman is intended for educational uses only. It does not replace medical care from your physician. Healthful Woman is meant to expand your knowledge of women's health and does not replace ongoing care from your regular physician or gynecologist. We encourage you to speak with your doctor about specific diagnoses and treatment options for an effective treatment plan.